the Sega Dreamcast. No. Well, uh, I played probably... my buddies a lot. So uh, then you might not remember the Sega Dreamcast game Seaman. Which, oh, with the fish person. With yes. the fish person. Uh, yeah. The fish with the human face. I am so excited to see how you segue this because I have no idea what the connection <laughs> is going to be. The connection is that Leonard Nimoy did voiceover for it. Oh. Yeah. He the more was you the Seaman? I think so. That was a terrifying video game. That was, that was so so damaging to me as a, as, as a young child. Jamie, do you know what we're talking about? I you don't gotta know look that it up. game. You just gotta look it up. It's wild. I Read mean, the Wikipedia. And we you're played a lot of, like, up. there was a boxing game that we played oh, yeah, a ready ton to of. Yeah, on Dreamcast. Um, was Shenmue on there? Shenmue too? was, in fact, on Dreamcast. Shenmue 1 and 2. So, in this game, you have a fish that you're taking care of, but it has the face of a man. It's a sea man. To Seaman, and then you have a microphone that you plug into the Dreamcast, and you talk to the Seaman, and the Seaman talks back to you. It's a very strange, like raising sim, because it has a whole life cycle and everything. It's weird. I don't, you know, all I can think about is the South Park episode with the sea monkeys now, right? Right. Yep. Not entirely off the mark. <laughs> so, I had to go into an alleyway and. Suck in the straw to get the bunch of sea monkeys. Well, there's your cold open. There it is. There's, I can't do you're, you're anything with that, so this is where we're starting. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were going to have to riff more so that you could cut. <laughs> I, there was a perfect time I should have, and it was like, you know, honest conversation. I was going to go, well, speaking of honest conversations, but then we just went into a seaman man tangent. Did you, yeah, did you ever have a Sega Dreamcast? Yeah, I'm like, okay, wait, hold on. We gotta, did you have a good Christmas? we got to see this go out. Hello, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, <laughs> your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. Joining in the room today is John, Jamie, and Jesse. Jesse is back, ladies and it's gentlemen. Been a it has. Jesse's back. Back again. again. You know, getting ready for this podcast and remembering you are going to be here, it brought me back to whenever we first started this, and I had this whole shtick of, like, I've kidnapped you, and you guys are forced <laughs> to talk about games with me, and now I work for you, and I don't know how that power dynamic Wait, shifted. Wait, that, that's not the shtick anymore? No, no. Why am I wearing of... the manacles? Well, that's just for... Fun. I mean, well, well, well... <laughs> Not that, well, yeah. A family-friendly podcast is what we have here uh, as we talk about uh, our favorite board games with our people that work at our friendly local game store of Red Raccoon Games. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and say this is going to be a good episode. I've got a good vibes about today because there was so I've much good news. i a feeling. Yes. I do have a feeling that things are... This is a very musical episode. I might have episode. had too many Mountain Dews already today. You're already started on number two, and we barely even started Number two since I got to the store. Oh, wow. I've been up for a couple of hours. Oh, of course you have. Uh, anyways, we're coming in with a lot of good energy. There's so much good news that we can maybe hop around into. But before we get into any of that, tell me, how was the store last week? Good. <laughs> good. Busy. Still staying busy. Um, we're I feel like we're starting to make a little bit of headway on getting settled into the new space and getting things set up more and not just uh, keeping the head above Flying water. by the seat of our pants. Yeah, because for a while it felt kind of like I was in too deep and I was just trying to keep all the blood in my head instead of going under. That's great. That's where blood needs to be. All the blood in your head? I feel like that would be... You missed that one. That was a musical reference. That's fine. Are we having a musical episode? Okay. It, once it Is starts, that what's going on? Stop. Anyway, but yeah, it was... Uh, once more with feeling, once Jesse. Once more with feeling. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe we can turn it around. Um, Lean into it. Let's go. No, I think... I. You know, we had 
stuff in so many different places and we're consolidating it into an organized fashion. We spent a ton of time this week with, you know, um, mostly Ryan and Chance and Keaton of digging through all the boxes. Because at the end, we just started shoving things in boxes because we had to get out of the old space, right? And we lost things. And and our, our team's thread was like, has anybody seen this? I really need this. Every time someone goes over there, I'm like, oh, you got your spelunking gear on. <laughs> yeah. Put your headlamp on. And, and so we've been making some good progress in terms of, of starting to sort that stuff out. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's what a major focus of this whole week was, is, you know, normalizing operations upstairs and then starting to dig through all those boxes and find the stuff that's been missing mm-hmm. and, and start putting things away the right place so we can organize it. I like how the chaos now has just become normal for you all. I I worked on Saturday, and just like I predicted, having those doors open right to the edge of the farmer's market has drastically improved the foot traffic on Saturday. I appreciate you coming in so I could go to my family reunion. It was my pleasure, because I got to talk to so many people that literally had just either come in because they were just walking around. and What are all those people doing in there? I should go look. Exactly. Or it was... They had come in to get coffee or ice cream, and so that they were waiting around till their order was done or their spouse was getting something. And it was just so nice to see. We had our, our standard people really coming in there for board games, actually trying to find stuff. But just new people that are just exploring for the first time because it's handy and convenient. Imagine what it'll be like when we have a sign. I know. <laughs> That's what a lot of people think. I know. I know. So, yeah, and, and that's a good point. So the building is not done, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, uh, I don't want anybody to think it is because this week also we, um, the elevator guys came in. <gasps> they didn't finish. Oh, damn it. But um, the elevator guys came in. They put in the low voltage board that we've been missing. And that worked. They couldn't. Get the internet working because there's an elevator cloud. I think I've talked about the elevator cloud, right? Yes. That there's an elevator cloud the elevator has to talk to for monitoring and performance and emergencies and everything. I was going to make a joke about the elevator being on the cloud, but that's actually what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. I really did mean that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they couldn't get it connected. I'm like, that's because I told you to use this wire, not that wire. They're like, oh. So, So now the elevator's on the elevator cloud. But... Now some other guys got to come in to do the final adjustments to make sure the elevator stops at each floor where it's supposed to. And then when he's done, then a different guy comes in who does the pre-inspection so that then they can call the city to do the city inspection so then they can call the state to do the state inspection. So that's still going on. We had drywalling happening this week because um, the architect who did it in fabulous job on so much stuff here and their massive reason why it looks so good upstairs a little tiny oopsie doodle they forgot to draw in that there was supposed to be drywall to hide the cinder block around the elevators womp womp so the, the drywalling got done the first coat of priming of uh, paint got done so we can paint those walls so the building construction continues but the the general feel of the building is going to stay the same this is more just trying to get those little yeah little oopsies or incidents uh, cleared up like at some point, the electrician's going to come back and put in another row of lights that got forgotten um, right over in front of the downstairs bathrooms. Oh, fantastic. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like you walk into like a little dark shadow and, oh, by the way, there's bathrooms back here. 
And it's not super dark. It's just not as bright as everything else. Is there like a vampire in the corner there? It's yeah. We should. Well, we could. Dark shadows. These are, yeah, you guys but I mean, we could actually put a vampire in, yeah. in, the shadow, in the corner too. Yeah. I think one of those bathrooms is unclaimed now. It could be a vampire bathroom. Yeah. Just talk to Kelly. I think Kelly started the, the blue bathroom downstairs, and she's making that Star Wars. Correct. Although the, it, the green bathroom, she said, was going to be the hodgepodge of everything else. Okay. That's going to be the 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 random whatever Kelly finds that she thinks is cool and interesting bathroom. Apparently. And then we have the cat bathroom upstairs. Yeah, and, and then the other bathroom upstairs, bathroom. the red one is going to be Pokemon. Okay, mm, that's what she said. Red version. Love it. The cat bathroom's unpopular. I will say that. Um, Did you see the cat feet on the table? Yes. The little cat socks. I was like, those are cute. And then I went, mopping. Yep. That's the first thing I said, too. She got mad at me. Say, say, tell that to Kelly, though. She she really wanted, she really liked that I noticed the, the cat feet. Yeah. I will say, though, that one thing. Everybody might, tell Kelly that you like the cat feet on the table in the if hallway. If you see, yes, If you, if you see her. Um, I will say that we need to get maybe some signage that says if those bathrooms are occupied, there are bathrooms downstairs because I actually three times working Saturday found a line out there of people waiting for bathrooms and then I had to guide them downstairs to to some other options. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have come in just to go to the bathroom. It is the and nicest I'm, bathroom on the block now. I <laughs> am I'm a, I'm a little torn by that because on one hand I want people to be happy on the other hand we are going through so much toilet paper and paper towels right now and it seems it seems like a small concern, but then there's also water usage and stuff, and that's going to add up. And I think it's going to cost us several hundred dollars a month just because we've become like the de facto bathroom for the farmer's market. So maybe it's just a – I just write it all off as a marketing expense. But yeah. it's those little things that people never talk about when they talk about running a business. Like how much toilet paper are you using right now? I'm going to tell you right now what saves toilet paper in my house. Bidets. You know, yeah. I've heard that before. I don't we, know how those work in a public space. But. I don't. I don't either. We talked about. Actually, I asked the architect about bidets or a bidet, where maybe making one bathroom that way, and he just looked at me like I'd grown a second head. Seriously, <laughs> I'm like, is there such thing as a commercial yeah. bidet? There's, yeah. there's, you know, be. what's that brand that they advertise on TV all the time? Tushy. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. They advertise that. I, I see ads for it all the time, and now everybody listening to this podcast is going to start getting Tushy ads. <laughs> You're welcome on Facebook and Google. Yep. And it just looks so flimsy, and I'm like, that is going to break. You know, maybe that's good for a household of four or five people, but Saturday, how many people do you think went to the bathroom? Hundreds. I mean. It was a constant question I was receiving. If we yeah. get the bidet, which I'm in favor of, we just we get a little sign facing opposite the toilet that says "Stay calm" and then instructions. <laughs> I will say, and I will not use names, but in my home, someone came to visit, and uh, they thought I had for some reason a handicapped toilet, and that turning the dial was how you flushed. <laughs> Oh, no. They and then you go, whoa. I heard a scream in my house <laughs> oh, no. that was blood curling. Because mine's, mine's not a heated water system either. So it takes, a, it takes some adjustment to the. Uh, oh, it's a little, it was a little cold. Then, it was a little. Woo, woo. <laughs> they learned a lesson that day. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So let's actually talk hey, about games. What a topic for the podcast. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm like, look at all this amazing news that we need to talk about. We're going to spend 10 minutes on bidets. Um, Well, okay. So the store has obviously been hopping. Have you guys gotten anything on your tables to play 
while uh, to, to kind of come down from the rush. Well, now that you mention it, John, I did get the chance to play a game just the other day. Really? Yes! It was The Search for the Lost Species, the Ooh. newest release from local designer Ben Rossett. Yeah. Who, spoilers, we are actually going to have on the podcast in August. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have him come on. After we'll, Gen Con. After Gen Con. Uh, like the end of August, it sounds like. Yeah, I think around the 28th or something like that. Uh, but we'll be able to uh, have some questions for him as a game designer. And after opening the box that we were playing with, I have a lot of questions just about the sustainability options that he there was. Here. They made purposeful efforts, and it was very obvious. And, and we both, because I played against John, mm-hmm. and we both were like, this is really interesting. Because we've seen this, right? Hasbro made a commitment to, to use less mm-hmm. plastic packaging, and they've done that. And it sounds like... In some ways, it has hurt their sales, and they might be reversing some of that. Uh, But we've seen other games like uh, Gigawatt that came in, and one of the telling things right off the bat is we're seeing more games come in that aren't wrapped in plastic. Mm -hmm. Now, I have feelings, both directions, on this particular trend because... um, if you anybody remembers the emphasis, uh, the, the 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 water leak um, incident. incident that we had, the plastic wrap on all those games saved all of those games. Right, we mm-hmm. we just had to go through and wipe them all off after. I got the frantic phone call from Jesse that water was coming, raining out of the ceiling, and I got here and he was like Benny Hill running around with garbage cans trying to catch all the water. So. Um, but on the other hand, right, my inner hippie is rejoicing at this idea that there was not, did we have any disposable packaging that we had to throw away at all from opening search for the lost species? Um, no, not really. Cause it had the stickers other on the than, sides. other than the punch board. We punched out the pieces and the, the, the punch board I think was the That's only kind of waste avoidable. for the yeah. entire game. And I would say that there was one packaging in there for components we did not need anymore. It was the initial, like, what they throw in there. And it was made of recycled paper nice. so and could be recycled. Again. But the game itself was awesome. Oh, the game was fantastic. Um, it's like the it's, – so this is the spiritual successor to Search for Planet X, which I have lost every time I've played this game. And I don't know if I suck or if John is just really good at it. Clue is my wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I don't play Clue. I play the other people playing Clue. And I don't know why it's a specific skill that I have, but this is what – Search for Planet X and Lost uh, Species has been able to do. It's Hmm. taken that level of um, deduction from Clue that you get, the process of elimination you go through, the logic that kind of runs into that, and takes it to a point where, to be honest, playing that game was not... I was not sure whenever I actually made the final guess at the end of the game. We actually ended up tying this time. We tied. So maybe the third version of this game... We we didn't even bother going through the tiebreaker Hmm. options. We just just, said, we got the same score, we'll just call it a tie and move on. Yep. But But I thought it was... So Search for Planet X, you're on a wheel, and the only thing you can do is choose your actions and move around the wheel on the outside as you're like your solar system around the outside is looking for, um, to, to, to look at the various parts of the night sky. The search for the lost species, now you've got a player on the field and you've got to move him around the board. And then when you do your actions, each of your actions is dependent on where your player is. Yep. John said he thought that added and made it a more difficult game. I thought it made it an easier game for me to process what was going on. 
so having not played either, so the um, Lost Planet has more of like a regular rondelle sort of like forward moving on a single track. But Lost Species has more of a like branching path action choice. You're exploring, kind of you're exploring an island, so okay. you've got to move around the island, and then the actions are dependent on the, the terrain and where you're at on the island. And the island is in hexes, so okay. that you move okay. from hex to hex. Whereas with Lost Planet, you are supposed to be in an observatory, and you're mm. only able to see a small portion of the sky right. at a time, okay. so that's why you have that rondelle wheel. Yeah, it was um, it was good though. Oh, I enjoyed it, it. I enjoyed it a lot, and it was good. We played it on a Friday night, and it was a very satisfying end. Um, we we went to the earlier in the day. We'd gone to um, the Hungarian um, club and mm. had they had their uh, their Hungarian sausage yeah. fundraiser with a band outside, which was the first time John had ever experienced going to the Hungarian club in town. They do a fundraiser twice a year with Hungarian sausage, and it's always a fun time and, and delicious. And John brought down the average age significantly. I'm 39. I am not. And, yes, I know. Yes, and that brought fair, the average fair. age down significantly. Okay. okay. You were like half the age of most of the people that were there, John. Well, I will tell you that their sausage was so delicious that that's why I'm going to claim that we had a tie. My brain was just so filled with goodness <laughs> that I could not process playing the game as well as I could. Jesse, how about you? Have you gotten anything on the table lately? Or should I say, have you gotten anything to build on the table lately? Did one moment while I recover myself. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's figuring it out. We're going to... No, um, I recently uh, got into Battletech and started oh, painting no. again for the first time in a few years. So um, May, uh, Alexis and I went to the ACD Game Days trade show, and they do some like um, door prize kind of stuff, and I got some Battletech minis. And I was like, you know, Battletech is something that I had tried to get into a number of times over the years. It's like, I like giant robots, but it never really clicked with me. Um, and then I was like, well, I have these now. Let's let's see how it is. So I picked up the beginner box, and then I was showing it to Roland, my, my kid, and I was like, uh, hey, look at these robots, because he likes robots. And he's like, oh, wow, those are cool. And I was like, yeah, so uh, you can paint them, and you can play a game with them. And he was like, I want to do both of those. He's, he's five. I was like, okay, cool. So I went and got the paint out, and I was like, which one do you want to do first? And uh, actually, we we played first, and then we painted. But that's fun. Yeah, he's been painting some minis, and speed paints make it easy. He can just, he's got the coverage down, and... Um, and they just came out with the metallics of the speed yeah, paints, too. So yeah. I'm sure that's really handy. So um, Jesse's raising the nerdiest kid around <laughs> yep. at this point. He's got point. no chance. It, yeah. Um, Watch, he'll turn into a football star. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, it's like the Patton Oswalt thing about how it's like your kids are going to rebel against you. So it's like my kid's going to rebel by, like, being a jock and bullying yep. me. Yep. Um, You're going to get bullied. Or his thing about, like, you know, you can't listen to cool music because then your kids will hate the cool music. So you have to be like, no, nothing more recent than Phil Collins' uh, No Jacket Required. Um, but as a sidebar to music, when I get in the car, I always ask Roland, like, hey, do you want to listen to music? And he's like, sure. And then I was like, okay, what kind of music do you want? And uh, his most requested is System of a Down or Cradle of Filth. Yeah, he's, <laughs> you've influenced this child. Yeah, deeply. You've got a five-year-old listen to System of a Down. I, awesome. I play a variety of music, and I'm like, if you like something, let me know. And he's really keyed in on that. Um, so <laughs> someday he's going to bring up this podcast in therapy. He's like, here, here's proof that my dad exposed me to things. Um, well, I did have a conversation with Jesse. So there's, there is a running gag around the store that Jesse can't catch. 
And I'm like, okay, you are going to have to make an effort to play catch with Roland so he does not grow up not being able to catch like you. And, and if, if necessary, I will go play catch with Roland. <laughs> Uncle Jamie's here to play catch right. with you. Uncle Jamie has an Uncle Joey feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So, so Battletech, getting, yes. getting on track. Um, things that are really cool about it. Oh, man, um, one, it is, a, it is a fun game. Two... It's known for being pretty, like, involved and having a lot of weird rules, but the rules are incredibly modular, and uh, the beginner box is 25 bucks and comes with two minis. That is a very good accessible, try this out at a low price, see if you like it. The rules are um, cut back to where it's easy to just focus on learning the core basics, and then once you've played that a decent bit and you feel comfortable with it, you can move on to the game, game of Armored Combat box, which is basically the core version of the rules. And what you've learned in the previous box completely translates over. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's it's really not nice. like, oh, well, you learned things in a streamlined format, now you have to relearn them the right way. It's just, no, you learned it right, now we're adding more of the rules. And I've never had so much fun um, getting blown up because so much of what's interesting about that game is how you are going to have a bad day. Uh, things like your... Uh, uh, different like your weapons overheating and taking damage to different parts and then you know having things blow up um it's a good time the minis are good they're pre-built and pre-based so you can paint them right out of the box and uh, they're pvc plastic they need to be like, primed right they do need to be primed yeah, yeah. Uh, about the only thing i think that i've seen what between what we sell or elsewise that's pre-primed are the WizKids hd minis and they always made a big deal of the mm-hmm. fact that they were pre-primed with Vallejo primer. It's really convenient, especially living in Illinois, where like you got to watch for that. I, I'll tell people on the Discord, like, "Hey, it's a good day out. Reminder that you should go prime today." Yeah, one of my friends does uh, video game controllers, and so they do specialized mm-hmm. art. And so she tells me, like, "Ooh, I've got to paint today because the weather pattern is actually up for the challenge in Illinois. Yeah. It's not a consistent thing you can do." There are several people that come in the store that like took like a closet in the basement and turned the whole thing into like a ventilated priming mm-hmm. room. Oh yeah, so that they can control like the humidity and the whole nine yards in there as well. I'm going to spin off just for one second, and we're going to come back to sure. to BattleTech. But I was working in the store yesterday, and I got asked what I think is a very unique question, and that was, "Can model paints work on a fencing helmet grill?" Absolutely. Yeah. And I had to think about it, though, mm-hmm. for a good hard second. I was like, if you prime it, I don't see why not. Top it would coat still on be it. those plastic. still be like that yeah. plastic coating. You're going to get it scratched up. But it was one of those unique questions that you that get working right. here. It, uh, it probably I, I, goes better that direction the other way around. Because a lot of people try to use, like, um, craft paints or, like, um, like canvas acrylics. Yeah. And that, that does not work well on 3D. No. And a large part of that has to do with the amount of pigment that mm-hmm. they actually put in the paint. Yeah. So. That's which is also why model paint is so much more expensive. You can get a craft paint, like a big mm-hmm. liter size bottle of it for like five bucks at you know one of the one of the stores, but your minis aren't gonna look very well, good when you paint them with that. That was actually the the second most interesting question I've ever gotten about paints. The first being, uh, it wasn't really a question, but the guy was asking so, which is better for army painter or citadel because he was painting fishing lures and he normally used army painter and he was wondering mm. if citadel was any better. I was like, so you come into the store just to buy paint for fishing lures. Hilarious. Uh, like, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. But, but both of those are water-based paints. I believe he probably them. shellacks them and sells oh, them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I yeah. was just like, no, don't don't put them in the water. That, no. that is one of the things that comes up, though, where I'll see people who do, like, 
people who are putting the effort in and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm just going to go use some Rosoleum from the hardware department. And as someone who is a very basic painter, what I have learned and heard and read is that um, the model primers from companies like Army Painter or Citadel are formulated differently. And like to get the similar effect from something like Rust-Oleum, I think you have to use like two different cans and there's a difference in the level of grit that's in there, just like mm-hmm. how it'll color match to like the brush on like white or black, but there it has grit in there to help the paint stick together so it's not such a flat surface. But yeah, um, there are things that you're learning, right? Sure. You're doing yeah, tech. they're great, um, great minis to paint. One of the, I think the last thing I can mention here is that one of the really cool things is you can choose how detailed you want to paint them. So you can go, you know what, we're just going to do this side's this color, this side's this color, go. Or I'm going to do these little highlights. But if you go like, I want to make these weapons stand out, or I want to do these inner frame, like, uh, um, it, like bits, bits of different color or something. Like if you want to make it more detailed, you can, but they look good with basic colors too. So it's, uh, it's good stuff. I watched a video uh, that a guy was painting Battletech minis, and he was timing how much time he spent on each mini mm-hmm. and how they came out. And this guy had 90 seconds in on each mini. He started off with a layer of just black primer, got it got it layered, then you let it dry. He didn't count while it was drying, right? How much time and effort. And then he moved on to the next one. He did like all of them and primed them all black. Then he grabbed like a, a, a dark gray and dry brushed mm-hmm. and he hit each one of them with the dry brush just catching the edges for like 30 seconds. And then he set it back down and let it dry. Then he hit with a lighter gray um, dry brush from a different angle and then set all the minis down. And I was just like, seriously, they look that good with 90 seconds of yeah. effort? That's, that's impressive. Yep. He's like, I might go back and maybe, you know, put a couple of like red badges mm-hmm. or something on them just so I know those are my models on the table. But this is probably how I'm going to play with them. And I'm like, that was yeah. pretty impressive. That's nice. So speaking of games that involve a lot of painting, a lot of construction, and a lot of complicated yet simple rules, uh, we're going to go into a world we don't often talk about on this podcast but has a pretty big following at Red Raccoon, and that is Warhammer. Oh, because I didn't they, know where you were going with that one. All right. Well I, done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Every time you interrupt a transition, it really helps. <laughs> so it, it's a it's a it's a staple of the show. Now, it's a though. tradition. Yeah. It is. I know. Um, oh, you missed it, Jesse. I don't know if you listened, but the other week uh, I got to do the perfect transition possible. And that was uh, because we had the uh, zombie side Monty Python. I got to say, and now for something completely different. Nice. And it's, I, I know the people that listen to this podcast said, yeah, we're just here, but I needed to share that with you. Our friendship demanded it. But going back to something that's far, far from Monty Python, which is the grimdark universe like of Warhammer 40K. From both from England. Yeah, that's fair. They, they both connect in that way. 40,000 years apart. 40,000 years apart. <laughs> uh, the 10th edition of Warhammer has come out, and the reviews are in. People are saying that this is doing kind of what the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons was supposed to do kind of simplify those rules, making a more streamlined appearance. And everyone seems to be pretty happy online that I've read with Leviathan. So my question is in the store, what are we hearing? Have you guys experienced much with that? What was the pre-orders like? So I can probably talk to this maybe a little bit better than Jesse. So first of all, disclaimer that I have never played a game of Warhammer. 
So everything I know about the Warhammer universe is based on what customers have told me or from Warhammer video games in the, in the past, like Dawn of War. Yes. Um, but 40K and the Leviathan release, we sold out the first day. Yep. We were out, right? We had, um, I think we got 30 copies. We came into before the... What's that? 38. We ended up with 38 total. Mm-hmm. Okay. We ended up with like almost all of them pre-ordered before they arrived at the store the Wednesday before release and between Wednesday and Saturday. I think we got to that Saturday morning, had one copy left, and it was gone within minutes of the us opening the doors on that Saturday. So, um, so the Leviathan box has been out there. And, and the reason why I can say I can talk to this is because my office is literally right next to one of the four-foot-by-six-foot tables that the guys play on on Friday nights. So usually I can hear them talking about things. And yeah, everybody's super stoked, right? Because when Ninth Edition came out, they introduced some rules that just kind of complicated things. That it, 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 it was interesting and it made it intriguing, but it also made it a, a stronger learning curve in ninth edition with where they place things and how you, you know, figured out your armies and the point setups and did your build outs. And, and we got kind of, I mean, we had a decent amount of at best ambivalent, if not um, negative feedback towards ninth edition when it came out. And, and so far 10th edition, the guys have been coming down playing games uh, we recently, the ISU Warhammer Club started coming over as well. So they're here. Fantastic. They're joining on some Fridays and then also on Mondays. Um, and a large part of that is because ISU shut down the building that they normally play in and won't let them play there over the summer. So if they're coming only, here. If only they had, there was a really nice space that yeah. had really big tables. That was no, designed just they've made a great addition to our, our community. And, yeah. and they're, they're everybody's mixing up and having a good time. But I think 40K has really been... The 10th edition's really been received very well with our players here. That's fantastic yeah, to hear. I'm seeing a lot of discussion in the Discord um, and a lot of people pointing out. And I, I, I played Age of Sigmar for a while, and I haven't had a chance to since the 3rd edition of it. Um, but seeing people talk about 40K 10th, uh, a lot of people who are jumping back in or choosing as a good jump on point. Um, GW did some really good things as far as making the rules accessible, at least at this stage, where it's like the app has the basic rules in there and the current, like, you know, codex list stuff for, uh, uh, so you can basically play without needing to buy a bunch of hardbacks right now. Um, and uh, a lot of people running learning games. Like yeah, we haven't had any codexes come out for mm-hmm. 10th edition yet. Um, and you if, don't need or it index, unless that's you, the word I was looking for. Unless yeah. you, you don't need the codex unless you want all the background and the lore and everything, which is, that's a huge part yeah, of the game. Yeah. That's what most players actually really want anyway. And if they stay on this track, I mean, it's similar to what other companies have done as far as making the the rules part relatively available so that then your customers can focus on getting the minis. Um, but yeah, as, if someone's curious about it, you jump in our Discord and just ask, hey, I want to do a learner game, and someone is going to take you up on that. And it, and a lot of people are doing it on days that are not even the Friday where 40K is played. I'm seeing a lot of learner games happening on Sundays and different days of the week because bigger space. We have more space for people to just do pickup gaming, which is happening a lot more. Yeah, Dustin and Alec have been in the last four Saturday mornings in a row, and they're here at 9 a.m., because nobody else is in the space at mm-hmm. all. They come in at 9 a.m. and they've just been practicing on 
you know, learning how the new rule set works because neither of them, I think the last time Dustin played, he said was seventh or eighth edition. So he just skipped mm-hmm. ninth completely. And um, Alex, a brand new player. So they've been trying to learn together on Saturday That's mornings. Really cool. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting, having not looked at the 10th edition rules, is that um, it, I'm hearing that the Age of Sigmar rule set is being used as a test bed a lot for things that end up in 40K, which makes sense. And third edition Age of Sigmar added a lot of complexity, and some of the players who were liking how easy and quick pickup AOS was were like, mm, I'm not sure the extra complexity is adding anything for me. But if they were drawing from that with 10th edition 40K, it would be like a streamlining. Mm. And so it sounds like maybe in one direction it was kind of a middling response, but in the other direction it's like, hey, cool, it's easier for me to actually just get to playing. I will say that I have never played a game of 40k, but I love the lore that comes along with it. And it, it is hearing this news and knowing just enough because I feel like that we are seeing a resurgence of, of that type of information coming out, like geek becoming a bit more of a mainstay thing. Can I can I add a couple things onto that as Absolutely. this resurgence talks about? Um, one, I think I've mentioned on this podcast, I read a really interesting story that 40k is like a huge underground thing in Hollywood really? and that the two biggest players and you knew you had made it in Hollywood if you got an invite to one of their houses was Robin Williams and Billy Crystal apparently both had massive setups and massive armies and tables and everything to play but since one of the things we also like to try to do to make our podcast a little bit different is talk about some insider baseball of yeah. of the industry uh, with Warhammer. So we've been having a hard time recently getting restocks on paints, on models, on everything. And Alexis and I were on a phone call with uh, GW, our GW rep this week, and we're like, what is going on? And are, are we back to, you know, we had all the supply chain and all the crazy shipping issues during COVID with all the new rules and we couldn't get models to leave China and they're, they're stuck. They couldn't get unloaded in the ports or whatever that was. Right. And they said, no, the problem is they use uh, predictive models, uh, predictive modeling to say, we're releasing this new thing. And based on past sales and forecasted everything, we think we should produce this many of this, of this box set in order to meet demand. They're predictive and because they have to they have to do this predictive modeling 18 to 24 months in advance. That's how far out they are as they're working on manufacturing all this stuff 18 to 24 months. And their predictive modeling is wrong because so many people got into Warhammer during COVID that they're currently three to four hundred percent. They're experiencing three to four hundred percent growth. Wow. And they can't. They can't, the machines literally can't go. They said that the machines, the, the, the injection molds run 24 by 7 and just can't make enough fast. And they're trying to get a whole nother like plant up and running to make um, the models as fast as they need them. And this is the exact same story we heard from Bandai about the Gundam kits mm-hmm. where Bandai, you know, Jesse would order stuff assuming we were only going to get 30% of what we actually ordered. And so we'd take pre-orders who want a couple for themselves, and then we'd assume he'd do the math backwards to assume we were only going to get like 30% of that. All of a sudden, a few months ago, we started getting 70%. Then we were getting 80%. And this recent one, we got 100% of what we ordered. 
which means we need to change how we order stuff because mm-hmm. we got a lot of a couple model kits way more than we wanted to. Um, but if you're interested in an aerial gunpla, just please come in, get one. But that's shout because out to all the people who are really giving our gunpla section some love now that it's visible and not hidden in a back room. It's very true. Yeah, well, but all that's because Bandai got their other mm-hmm. factory up and running, and so now they're finally catching up to demand. At some point, GW is going to catch up to demand too. But right now, we're having a hard time because so many people are getting into playing 40k that we can't get enough stuff for all the models that they want. And it's like restocks are five, six, seven weeks out right now. And we're doing everything we can to get stuff here. They're still doing really good on um, new releases, but anything that's a restock of a model that's been out for a while is, is becoming Wild West. And we're still doing better than online because online's eight to 10 weeks out right now. They're prioritizing stores and we're only five to six weeks out. Only in air quotes there. So that is very interesting as well. Knowing that the resurgence of COVID, I had no idea. But now I'm trying to think they must also feel the rush with Henry Cavill wanting to do the TV show mm. with Amazon if that does well. So the D&D movie, we've kind of talked about this. There was nothing in the D&D movie that made me feel like anybody's going to watch that and say, oh, I really want to play D&D. I feel like the exact opposite could come from a good Warhammer TV show. I think a good Warhammer TV show could really spur a lot of people on to say, oh, well, I'm seeing armies in the show. I can build an army. Or I I like this character. I like this type of look and feel. I can actually replicate that a little bit easier. Like I can actually have physical manifestations of those characters. And I could see that being a very very interesting turn for GW and I'm wondering if they're already thinking we better have a third plant or something along those lines. I don't know. It's it's just been interesting too. So now they, you know, they can't keep up with the models and they just made the whole game easier for people to get into so more people can say, "Why don't you come down to the store and play a game with me and mm-hmm. we'll show you how it works." Cuz I did have a guy on Friday who came in earlier in the day said he was interested in Warhammer. I'm like, "Just come at night." usually Jake or Fernando or one of the other guys or Matthew or somebody has an extra army with them. If they don't happen to have it, they'll let you just watch and show you what's going on while they're playing and then bring another army for you to play with the next week. The guys that we have here are great at teaching people. Mm-hmm. They just want more people to play with. And it looks like it's coming. Yes. So speaking of playing with great games with great people, uh, we wanted to bring up a, a new... Go ahead and say it, Jamie. What? Go ahead. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, I wanted to go ahead and segue into another news article that has been somewhat uh, requested by one of our Discord users. And that is wanting to talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3, the video game. Now, for those of you that don't know, Baldur's Gate has been a longtime series. It was actually first developed by BioWare, who at this time period making it was more into the uh, Knights of the Old Republic scene than it necessarily was what we know for them now, which is Bioshock, and not Bioshock, uh, Mass, uh, Effect. Mass Effect and Dragon's Age. But a new studio has taken up the helm for this third one, Larian Studios. And they said, you know what? We are going to go all in. Hold my beer. Hold my beer. We are going to make this not only a uh, main quest is 75 to 100 hours. They say if you want to do all the side quests, that's going to be in double that. It is so Who's large. Who's got 160 hours? 
it is so large that there are other people in the industry already putting out the precursor that this is a unique game. This is not the new standards for RPGs. Please understand this. <laughs> Larian has like a hundred developers. They have like multiple teams. Uh, there, most games usually have like forty developers. So there, there's already studios saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is going to be great. We know, but please don't expect this from us in the future. We can't, we can't make games like this." But not only is it going to be massive in content, it is following all of the D and D five E rules almost to the letter. Yeah, from the classes to the uh, subclasses to how all the mechanics are supposed to work, they have built it all into the game. And that's really cool because one of the things that was neat about the original Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 is that they ran pretty close to uh, second ed AD&D. Mm-hmm. Like there were some modifications, but under the hood it was mostly second ed. And then um, Knights of the Old Republic was a modified version of third ed, I want to say, under the hood. So um, it's always nice when those when those things are familiar and it makes for a nice translation if you are coming from the tabletop and want to play the game or... You're playing the game, and then you want to go to the tabletop. Yes. I I see this game being possibly what I thought the D&D movie was going to be, or originally was like, I thought people might see a resurgence in D&D. I watched the movie. It didn't do it. It didn't call people to it. This game, if people are more video game players than tabletop, I think could make people think, oh, well, I want to take this character I just made for this game. I want to play it in a different campaign. And... From what I've been reading, you could literally just pull your character sheet off of the game and roll with it. Jamie, everyone's playing Baldur's Gate and Diablo. How does that make you feel? Do you feel like do you feel like you're hearing your dial-up modem? I feel like I need to get a Mountain Dew and a bag of Cheetos and sit down at the computer is what I feel like. Oh, Cooler Ranch Doritos are all the way. I'm sorry. Yeah, Cheetos get all over everything. You you know. Yep. You can't eat Cheetos, and then your mouse is all, like, sticky, and you're like, that's gross. Baldur's Gate also is getting a lot of interesting reports on Steam because there is apparently a scene where a character uh, loses concentration or, or kind of freaks out during a romantic scene in the game and turns into a bear, and you have the option of calming them down, of telling them, you know, it's okay, we can do this another time, or continuing, just keep going. <laughs> Jesse is digesting this information. I don't know if I'm you just, read the article I I'm said. I'm just wondering if that old CZW promo with John Moxley was real or not. That's all. That's fair. That's fair. So, <laughs> and, and I didn't realize, too, John, John told me about this, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Why does, why, does, you know, why, is, why does our Discord channel want us to talk about this? And so I went and watched the video, and I was just like, oh, now I need to upgrade my computer to play Baldur's Gate 3 and... Larian Studios is known for their Divinity games, yeah. um, oh, okay. which uh, Divinity 1 and 2 are some of my favorite RPGs in a long time. It is very rare that a top-down game like that somehow grabs me with the story, mm. but Divinity 1 and 2, I, the, the surprises of every single character, not only the ones you're playing as, but the ones you keep on bumping into in that game, creates such a dynamic web of intrigue that... It always was shocking me. And and in this new um, Baldur's Gate game, you can either build your own character completely and run through the generic storyline, or there are multiple characters that have more intriguing storylines. They call them the origin characters. Exactly. And one of those origin characters is you can just make whatever character you want to fit into that role. Hmm. 
Um, so it so that way you can make a character that has a very unique storyline within the game, uh, but you can also still just make whatever you want. And what I appreciated, and I when I went and watched the video too, and this is this goes back to kind of some of those Dungeons and Dragons roots, is that different NPCs in the game will react to your character with completely different scripted storylines based on not only what race or or profession you are but also based on there's like a reputation system based on the actions and decisions you have made prior things to the game they will change their actions to you and that's something we have we've seen limitedly in some video games but of course that's a major part of of running a Dungeons and Dragons games is you know, if you've got a, a table full of people that just want to be murder hobos, the, the people in the village start reacting to them differently or the sheriff will attack them because they're now the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And there's there's always the system of you can do whatever you want in D&D, but there are repercussions for that. And we didn't always see that in video games. And mm. and if, if Baldur's Gate 3 plays out the same way that... Um, that they're forecasting and telling us that it's going to. That that actually could be make this very much the closest thing we've ever seen to Dungeons and Dragons and turn it into a video game. I would assume that the main storyline does take 75 to 100 hours, but if you want to do all the side quests, you're probably going to have to choose different characters, different races, yeah. different choices in order to have access to all of those different side quests yeah. as well. I know there's one where uh, there's a children who have a hidden area and you have to like find a secret entrance to get in there. Or if your character is just a, a halfling or a gnome or a gnome, sorry, uh, they can just walk right in because they're child sized. The, they can go right in through the way the children are. And so it's just those little things like understanding the size of the character and what those attributes really bring. I think is something D and D has always done really well in the, the way that its rules are executed, but Baldur Gates three looks like it's going to make it feel more in that world as well. Yeah, it could be it could be very exciting too, and I was, I'm I was happy to hear that they're kind of going away from the old engine a little bit because I never got the the point and click turn based engine of the first one. I never got into Baldur's Gate one as much as I did other games like Neverwinter Nights or Icewind Dale, um, or um, if you want to go old school, I Are the Beholder or Pool of Radiance. For those of you that are old enough to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, I never got into Baldur's Gate 3 because every time it stopped and went into turn-based combat, that seemed like it pulled me out of the storyline. It took it away from me. And this one looks like it's going to be, again, kind of like playing Dungeons & Dragons, where when there's no combat, uh, combat happening, you're very streamlined, you're talking to people, everything's very dynamic, and then it only stops when we're going to do combat. And then you can make some additional choices there. So I'm, I'm hoping this comes off well, because I, well, they, they do, we joke about Dungeons and Dragons is where like walking across halfway across the continent could take five minutes, but then one fight could take two hours. Yep, that's one of the beauties. Speaking of RPGs, uh, we're getting into award season, and one of the big awards for RPGs is the any awards and yeah. it's, when i saw that jesse was going to be honest today i definitely wanted to pull this article because he actually led a play test of one of the games that was nominated and i got to play inside of it and that was fabula ultima 
Uh, Fabula Ultima really pulls from the Final Fantasy style of, of game building. Jesse did a fantastic job of Thank leading you. us through that. I, I had a lot of fun, and it's still in my head uh, one of my favorite adventures I've been on Thank in a you. short amount of time for a one-shot. But there were definitely some interesting games on the awards nominations this list, and not many of them came from big-name people. Yeah, um, which is cool to see some attention given to some real creative and good production value out of some indie groups, and ones that don't necessarily have like a prior release. Like Fabula Ultima is the first release i'm pretty sure for that developer and the um the publisher is one that i wasn't familiar with but yeah fabio ultima very much started out as a this wants to be like final fantasy final fantasy tactics specifically with its job system and stuff but um the vibe is very 90s jrpg 90s anime Mm -hmm. um the core system was very quick and like if you're comfortable with something like ryutama this is very similar it's got a little bit more going on um, and then once we got we got the physical book in, which includes a QR code uh, link to get a PDF copy, which all dungeon, like all RPG books should do at this point. That needs to start becoming an industry. Yes, um, I always am glad when I can uh, when we can offer those to to people. Um, but the the book has so much, so many more options, like systems for emulating all sorts of things. I love that Magitech, like Final Fantasy VI style, is a core setting idea. And it is a game that has, I kind of in that like um, D&D core book kind of feel, it has an idea of a setting, a vibe, but you can make it your own. Ryutama is the same way, right? So I always like that. It gives you plenty of room to go, well, maybe this thing when you're... Um, you can yes and during narrative play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some others on here that, and so this is still, you can vote on the innies right now, I believe. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be open um, until August at Gen Con. Where the yeah, the, there's yeah. A, the presentation of the awards for the innies is always at Gen Con. So the other things that are on here, Flabbergasted, which we have in, we got that one off the Kickstarter, and that one's a um, like kind of uh, hijinks comedy heist kind of uh, kind of game. Yeah. Uh, friend Matt kind Gromer recommended in, that, I believe. Like London. Yeah, um, so it seems like it's got a little bit of a Pratchett kind of vibe to it, I think. I, I felt I felt like Flabbergasted was a little bit Pratchett, but also a little bit like Faulty Towers. Mm. With kind of the weird, crazy cast of, of yeah. character types that showed up at the hotel. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Pasión de, la, uh, de las Pasiones, uh, which is a uh, Mexican telenovela RPG. And that's one that's interesting. That I saw that, and I went... I've heard good things about it. It's kind of niche. I probably won't order it. And then Jamie asked me one day, he's like, have you heard about this game? It's supposed to be just hilariously good. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's get it in. Um, Slug Blaster, Kick Flip Over a Quantum Centipede is uh, one that I'm not familiar with. And I think the same with Trophy RPG. Um, So I can't say much on those. And then Product of the Year, there's quite a few things listed here. Fabio Ultima is up for that one as well. Journey Through the Radiant Citadel is on there. That's the only one from a big publisher. Yes. Uh, Rivers of London from... Real quick, Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, the reason why I think it's being contained in here is because it's... um, That book is a series of one-shots that you can string together... But the reason why is they made a, a specific effort for that book that every one of those modules was written by somebody who we would consider maybe to be a marginalized, yeah. um, you know, 
individual yeah. cell or, or you know, yeah. background. Yeah, and that was I was glad that they did that. Um, Rivers of London. I haven't read Rivers of London. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a book series, uh, but I've heard people talk about that, and it uses Chaosium's BRP series. Um, and then Swords of the Serpentines, one I had heard about. Um, the judges spotlight is just kind of like, hey, here's uh, an extra thing. There are a couple here that were cool that we can get these in. Void 1680 AM is a small little, I think, GMless RPG that is basically Welcome to Night Vale. Like you're doing a radio oh, stop show. Love. Welcome to Night Vale. Um, and then Moonlight on Roseville Beach, a queer game of disco and cosmic horror. I, I almost ordered this one, and then I, I don't remember if I was like trying to cut down how much was coming in that week but it's um what's that episode of black mirror it's like the one like upbeat episode of black mirror um san something oh the one where the the two women yes virtual reality yeah it's got that kind of like vacation like beach city vibe but with cosmic horror and it's got really cool like pulp artwork um so that's another one that, that, that those look cool. So yeah, lots of really neat things in here. Um, so, Fabula Ultima is currently on back order. We're waiting for a new print run. You can put in an order, get that discount, and then we'll have it when it comes back in. 10%. Just because I was curious, I went ahead yeah. and looked up to the game's trophy RPG. You play as a group of treasure hunters going into a forest on a doomed mission. So mm. apparently you are not supposed to win. You are okay. just supposed to kind of endure it. And that gives me... Uh, if you are also a podcast fan, Tannis Vibes as well. If anyone's been listening to that, it's very much about what happens out in the Pacific Northwest, mm. all the creepy things that happen out there. Slug Blaster, though, I can't believe I haven't heard about this <laughs> game because apparently it's everything that I love and more. Um, so Slug Blaster, basically you play as kids in kind of a futuristic world where there's like giant bugs but that's kind of a normal everyday thing and you might find a ray blaster as you're scooting around on your hoverboard and things like that and i it just sounds like a 90s video game this like is very a, skate or die kind okay, of like, it's like a side scrolling video game is so what it sounds like yes the the vibes that they list on their website for how this game was work is sci-fi adventures like big hero 6 paper girls everything everywhere all at once scott pilgrim versus world and spider-verse Coming to age stories like 8th Grade, The Edge of 17, and a Goofy movie. Stuff about skateboarding like Skate Kitchen, Mid-90s, and Lords of Dogtown. Saturday morning programming like Ben 10, Earthworm Jim, Cyber Chase, Power Rangers, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anime like Skate to, Affinity, Skate to Infinity, FL, uh, Fooly Cooly, uh, I can't, Paprika is one of them. I don't know the other two. Uh, video games like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Jet Set, Future Radio, Ollie Ollie World, and Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. So what you're telling me is the guy who made this is the same age as you and Jesse. Pretty much. Jet yeah. Set Radio. This is definitely, this is a targeted ad at this point for both of us. So very <laughs> interesting. And I will say that last year, the the big winner was Thirsty Sword, Lebs- Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which I've heard so many good things about people who have played it, and I've I've seen online reviews of it have been fantastic. We've got we sold a ton of copies of it because it gets such good reviews everywhere it goes. So I'm going to go ahead and use the segue of this talking about awards to come to talk about awards that have actually been announced, and that's the Spiel des Hearts. Awards of future past. Dun dun dun. 
So, obviously, the news came out about our big winners this year. And, Jamie, you had some some thoughts about some of them, actually, that were, and I think Jesse kind of shared them as well, a little surprising. It's a weird year. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah, Dorf, Man- Dorf Romantic, Dorf Romantic. Uh, is a board game based on a video game that is about just having a cool vibe and chilling out. And... It, we've we've had it. It sells, and everybody that's played it, it's like, yeah, that was kind of cool, but I don't know how I really feel about it. And, but it's interesting that it was the it was the winner this year because everybody that I've talked to has been like, it was cool. I'm glad we played it, but and I'm like, well, are you gonna play it some more? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of you know, it's a certain vibe, and it's like a co-op Carcassonne kind of thing, like with tile laying. Yeah, and and it's I don't know if this is. Do you think this one won because of gimmicks? Because there are other games that tore things up. Like, how did Flamecraft not, not win? How did yeah. Flamecraft not even get a nomination? That this one's year? really surprising. Right? That was the single biggest game on every game store. It wasn't last year. nominated last year, was it? Because their their timing for what they include is often confusing. And I haven't been able to nail down really if it depends on regional release or anything. Um, yeah, Flamecraft I mean, wasn't in last year's, so I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, the two biggest games of last year for stores were Boop and Flamecraft, and neither of those got a nod. And, and you know, the, the Doformantic comes through, and it's just like all the game store owners are super confused. But that's the thing. This is a critic's choice, right? This isn't a game store owner's choice because... What the game store owners think were the winners are that's where you tend to be at the Origins Awards, mm-hmm. right? The Origins Awards tends to be here's what game store owners went, wow, this was an amazing product. We had a good time with it and we sold a ton of copies of it. And then, um, so maybe that's the difference between like the MTV Music Awards uh, or Movie Awards and then the Academy Awards, which the Academy is looking for more critical or technical things. But I don't know. It's just interesting. It, it kind of reminds me this year of when, um, God, it was like 2014, Concept won Game of the Year. I've tried to teach Concept to so many people, and nobody likes it. And, and Concept has never done nearly as well. But then, and also ran for that year with Splendor. And Splendor sold a million copies. Right. And it's easy to play. Everybody... I mean, so many people talk about Splendor. I frequently feel like the other nominees are usually one of those will be my pick instead of the one that won. So, like, they're all, the whole list is always good to look at for the spiel. Now, as, as much as you felt about uh, Dwarf Mantic, uh you seem to have even stronger feelings about the, uh, what was the other category's name again? I, before we move to the other category, I would like to mention Fun Facts is one I hadn't even heard of, and looking at it briefly, it reminds me a little bit of Just One and things like that, and kind of seems like an odd pick. Next Station London is very fun. I've played Next Station London a lot. It's a good roll and write. I wouldn't have expected it to be in this list, like, good for it. Um, I'm not sure they did anything super innovative for being in the list, but, like, out of those three, Next Station London is the one I have played and did enjoy. Sorry, John. I just want to throw that one in there before we went to the Connoisseurs game. The Kennerspiel. Exactly. And the Kennerspiel was Challengers, which I had no idea about. Jamie had somewhat heard, and so was watching a video before we filmed this, before we recorded this podcast. And even just listening to the video, 
it sounded very lackluster. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, Alexis and I talked about it. I said, did you order any of this? And she's like, yeah, but I looked at it um, uh, from Asmodee and went, meh. So she's like, I only ordered a couple copies of it because it, it didn't catch her attention. It didn't catch my attention. And there's a forum for game store owners where everybody's like, does anybody understand why this just won? Because even Tom Vassell on Dice Towers, that's the review I was watching, like, did I miss something? Am I not understanding something? It's, he said it's a deck-building version of War. Like you're playing War yeah. with a deck of cards. And and the one guy on the review was just very much like, yeah, I I want... There's no choices. The whole game runs on autopilot once it starts, and you don't really get to do a whole lot. And it, he's like, I, I want games where I get agency and get to pick the flow of the battle, but it just kind of happens automatically once things start. It's, it's, it's definitely unique. I mean, I saw... The publishers were doing a big push on it leading up to the release, and I was really surprised. And like, this is the pony you're backing because, you know, just keeping a fifty fifth street. Because like, I'm not just gonna praise something just because. Um, the box art, it's it's got a, a very disparate like, what's the theme here? And at first, I thought it was a golfing game, um, <laughs> and like, I can see that from the box. But it's after enough time doing this, you can look at a game usually and kind of tell if you immediately picture it being in your clearance area there are just some things that don't have the right it factor to catch people's attention and you're like okay you want to make the thing um and this had that vibe i it ended up being on board game arena i played the tutorial and it wasn't until then that i even understood what the game was supposed to be which is it's supposed to feel like a mobile gotcha game auto battler Okay, trying to adapt that to a tabletop uh, experience is an interesting idea, a challenge maybe. Um, and essentially you do the deck building purchase of cards to put into your deck, and then your battle is to flip cards one by one and compare battle strength. And you have to kind of do a push your luck of not revealing too many cards because if you have the same card pop up to multiple times, it doesn't count as much. Um, that's where your options really lie. It, yeah, but it, it felt like it has just enough going on that it's not a super quick playing game, but the actual choices didn't resonate for me for the size of a game it is. But and this is another one too, where we've got a runner up in the in Planet Unknown that is so popular right now. We've been trying to get it. It's been on back order. When they do get some, you know, I think we've got like 30 copies on back order and they're like, here, have one, right? We can't get any copies of it. Um, I backed the new Kickstarter for Planet Unknown for the expansion pack just because they said, by the way, we're also reprinting Planet Unknown and retailers are going to be guaranteed to get some copies in because we have not been able to get enough copies into... I mean, even to cover what the staff who wants to play the copy play the game. I'm just now learning that we ever got a copy in because they were gone so quick that I missed it. <laughs> yeah, I think we got one. Yeah, one copy has ever made it. It to looks the store so cool. Point. And yeah, and I remember what I remember seeing it and talking to them at the uh, Gamma Trade Show in 20 that I went to in 2022, and saying immediately putting a list of we need to order this game, and it was already too late. It was by the time I saw it at the store, it was sold out. And we've, we, I don't think we've gotten a single copy in since then. And so I think this is another one of the scenarios that this is, that's going to be the, the, the splendor 
to concept, which 100% we actually did clearance concept out. It was a game of the year winner that never sold. We ended up putting a clearance rack. Um, uh, it, it's it's actually not a bad game. It's just not an exciting game. So, but Planet Unknown, I I, I want to play Planet. I want to copy of Planet Unknown, and I've never gotten one for myself. It, it's just interesting how that plays out sometimes. Yeah. And just to round out the end, Mysterium Kids won the Kinderspiel, which is the children based award, uh, children's game based award. And Mysterium, that's that's kind of a high concept game. And yeah. You just know it. I've not seen the kids' version. I haven't played the kids' version, but I've looked at it a few times. Um, I think it's sitting upstairs on the mm-hmm. shelf right now. It's uh, it looks like an acute reimplementation of the ideas of Mysterium, but in a fully co-op sense that has uh, it's easier for the age range, right? Um, like I think it's a six or a seven and up, and I was just like, I'll probably pick it up once Roland's a little bit older. Gotcha. Yeah, it's and, like pirate treasure. And ironically, this is another one where Gigamon looks like it's the better game. Hmm. You know, I've seen some demos. I played some demos of it, and it, it's 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 just more fun. It's kind of a, but it's aimed at kids, right? It's a memory based game with these cute characters that's aimed at kids. And I was playing it with kids, and they were having a great time. That's kind of the goal. So I, I think it's probably the better game. Strange happenings at the Spiel de Har. Ted. Um, <laughs> so there's so much good news this week. I wanted to talk about the new magic set with Doctor Who coming out because they've just finally released some uh, concepts. For I see that. what you you got the, uh, the the phone booth and two different concepts there. Did you do that on purpose? Yeah, exactly. I went there. I was just like, ooh, where can I merge this in? <laughs> Uh, there's, I still, we still have not talked about the new Marvel RPG at length, which I know, Jamie, you're somewhat excited about because you get to play Spider-Man and they just announced that there's going to be a whole Spider-Verse expansion to it. Um, I, there, there's just, there's even the Scrabble champion using a naughty word in order to win the awards. However, there's only so much news about things that I can't do. If I wanted to come to the store and actually pick up some games that are new and fresh that I can actually play right now. What should I be picking up? What am I looking at? So for me, there's um, one of the cooler games and a concept game that's on there is called um, Globetrotting, and that's new from uh, Road to Infamy Games. Road to Infamy, of course, is local to us. I'm going to say local to us, right? Because Champagne's local to oh, us. Yeah. They're oh, central yeah. Illinois. And they did Canvas and both the Canvas expansions as well as a dice roller game called Don't Go In There. And we've had all those games. Um, I think we've got Canvas Reflections, the third Canvas right now, but we're sold out of the other two waiting on, on a restock of those. And Don't Go In There is actually up as well because we talk about our local designers all the time. Globe Trotting is actually... It's a it's a it's like a playing around the world in eighty days with a physical globe. It's a it's a globe and right game where you actually hmm. draw the routes of how you're getting from different cities as you're racing around the world on a globe. So it comes with each of the four players gets a globe and a stand like to rotate the globe around in, and that's how you're riding right on the on the globe as you go with there. So pretty interesting and unique concept there. The other one that I would say that I'm, I'm kind of stoked about is I want to play Shake That City, which is 
is it Shake That City or Shake, shake the City? Shake That City. Shake da, 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 da. Da. Or, no, it's just Shake City. Shake City. No, the, that is in there. It's in the yellow building text. Okay. It's Shake That City. It's. It looks to me like Tiny Towns meets Boggle. And I love Tiny Towns, right? It's also from AEG. And Tiny Towns was a game where you would put little cubes in places kind of to make like almost Tetris shapes. And once you got your cubes in the right places, they represented resources, then you could make buildings. And the buildings had synergies that would almost like an engine building thing. Like don't put the industrial buildings next to the residential, that sort of a thing. Shake That City looks very similar to that, except for you're not placing the cubes. You're shaking them up in a box and then revealing them like Boggle and trying to make the best things out of it that you can. Interesting. That does sound good. Yeah. I will say, as I was working in the store yesterday, I uh, I did a few hundred passes of the uh, new hotness, and there are so many RPGs that I'm seeing there that are interesting. First of all, we have uh, The Vampire, The Masquerade's Player's Guide, Everyday Heroes base game came out, and that's the one that's going to have expansions into Highlander, Pacific Rim, Rambo. We have The Crow right now. The Crow. On, Total yes. Recall. It's it's like they made a game and went, how do we do every 90s action movie as an RPG? They know their audience. Yeah. Uh, there was also a Die RPG, which came out, which we've talked about before on this podcast, where... Uh, each character class gets its own dice. Uh, and in that sense, it's not a set of dice. It's like this character only rolls a D4. This character only rolls a D6. This character only rolls a D8. And then utilizing that, you have some really re- unique rule sets from what I've been reading to implement whatever dice is assigned to you. Um, so if you're looking for something that's definitely going to be off the beaten trail, that's something. No. We had an interesting conversation regarding this game the other day. Oh, and really? uh, I'm just going to plant an earworm that's going to enrage a bunch of people listening to this podcast. So we, we have seven of them. We call them dice, right? Mm-hmm. If we have multiple of them, we call them mice. But if you have one, it's a mouse. So shouldn't we call, if you only have one of them, a douse? The singular and plural for dice versus die is something that I know is not important but gets in my craw. Cause the in I'm gonna in start the, referring to them as douse. I'm gonna make t shirts and they're gonna be douse, douse. on the t shirt. Okay. Cause in the UK they say they use dice for the singular also and that that bothers me. That's fair. As an English person, I learned a long time ago to not care too much if you still want to have friends about how the English language is used. Uh, I accept that it's pointless. Oh, yes. It just bothers me. English language, it's three different languages in a trench coat. Uh, Um, I like the one where they talk about English is the language that, you know, beat up other languages in the alleyway and stole some of their words. mm -hmm. Pretty much how we work. Uh, I will say, speaking of shirts, though, uh, I am actually wearing one of our newer shirts designed by Ryan, friend of the podcast. Uh, and it's Albert Cares, and it comes in three different colors: pink, gray, or heather gray, and black. And I would say each and every one looks distinctly different. Yes, and I like that a lot. It really each one makes different parts of the shirt pop. And I was like, I went in going, I want a new pink shirt because I got bleach on my old pink pride shirt, and I I want a new pink shirt. And then I saw it on the dark gray, and I went. Oh, the colors are so rich on it. But, like, the pink makes other parts of it, like the feathers at the bottom, really pop. Mm -hmm. And also it has this, like, 
it has this high contrast like VGA 90s computer game kind of vibe to it uh, that I really like. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to end up with both. It was, <laughs> it was an accident, a happy little accident, if you will, because I asked Ryan when in the design phase to not make it one massive chunk of of ink because mm. we've done that on shirts in the past and when you get too much ink in one massive block when you when it gets washed Correct. they crack mm-hmm. and they fall apart so i asked ryan to please make all of the lines and everything and leave space between them where the shirt colors will come through mm-hmm. so that it's the, the the ink is now individual color blocks and it, it to, to let the shirt flex underneath of it and not crack the ink and everything. And then it, it accidentally came out with these really cool effects with the yeah. different color shirts underneath of it. And I will say the black one is kind of cool because while black... Technically, the, it's a dark gray. It's a dark gray. It contrasts the darkness within the... And it look has a much more almost creepy vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's more the menacing. owlbear yeah. is more like kind of into the shadows. Yeah. I will care about you and you will like it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then going back to RPGs, there's one that I haven't heard about called Heart. So, yeah, that one. Um, the City Beneath. Sorry. I've seen one. a number of times. It's It's gotten some, like, kind of sleeper hit buzz. And I w- it was cool. It's cool that I don't do all the ordering now because sometimes things will come in. And I'll go, I thought about grabbing that. It looked neat, but I skipped it because, like, you know, you got to pick and choose which thing it looks like people will latch on to. Um, unfortunately, I know very little about it aside from... It's indie fantasy. I do. Excellent. I ordered it. <gasps> Wunderbar. It's, it, this, is, this is a purchase from the Gamma Trade Show because I sat down and talked with these guys, and it's the same people who did die. Oh, and really? I sat down at a table, and we were having some adult refreshments, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the games, and they were explaining them to me. Heart is the spiritual sequel set in the same world to Spire, which Spire I ordered and it didn't mm-hmm. come in yet. And so Spire is like a massive kind of dungeon crawl. The entire city is in one massive tower going up. Yeah. Pathfinder had the Emerald, Emerald Spire, Spire yeah. as this massive mega dungeon that they did. And it's kind of similar to that, but everything... Maze, it, it, it gave me some Maze Runner-esque vibes of everything is moving from level to level going up. Heart is going down. Mm. It's the city below the spire, and you're down into the heart of the dungeon and the heart of everything in this world that makes it all work and tick. And that's kind of its shtick. Where so they're two separate systems that can be kind of merged together to play this mega kind of campaign of are we going up or are we going down? So it was one of those where like the higher you are in the spire, like that's the upper echelons of like yeah, it's I, I like that kind of world building. That's fun. Yeah, that was that was kind of their goal. It definitely has a a more of a dark taint to it. Mm, though, I it does say it's, it's not. I know some people are hearing this and probably thinking anime, where you know the higher towers. There's been a lot of animes lately that really go into like higher level, and it's bright and still sunny, and it's like a open world that's just in a high tower. No, this is very much you are in an enclosed yeah. space. It is mu- like Metro 2044 or whatever I was, was. I mean, I was thinking about anime, but I was thinking about Battle Angel Alita. But that is a good example as well. More of that dark kind of tone to it. Sure. Um, and speaking also of RPGs, so we have the Vampire the Masquerade Player's Guide on here. And I had someone ask me, they're like, is that a new edition change? And it's not. It's 5th edition Vampire still what they've been rocking for the last few years. 
Uh, what this does is this is a book that I was wanting to exist for a long time because the V5 core book is beautiful. It's got some really fun design and it's a pretty decent read when you're learning the game. It is not good for table reference. It is clunky when it comes to finding something quickly because the rules are spread out. Um, similarly, they kept releasing new rules for different clans and bloodlines and background things um, throughout different source books. The player's guide compiles all of those rules into a an easy to reference book that doesn't have all of the fluff, but just puts them all into a compendium. So if you need a good table reference book, your table should have at least one copy of the player's guide out uh, when you're playing vampire and it's going to make your life so much easier. Um, so big recommend there. See, now I just learned where that fits in the ecosystem too. So yeah. right along with everybody else, I know how to explain that book now. And uh, also something That's we the don't have of participating in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> something we don't have yet um, it is, I think you guys talked about in a previous episode, is Werewolf: uh, The Apocalypse Fifth Edition, which is coming out at Gen Con, and I'm super excited. I played more Werewolf than I have Vampire um, overall, and the the updates they're doing for that setting lore really works well. Um, oh, yeah, like the whole setup of. You, you are the children of Gaia. You were sworn to protect the world. You have failed. Like, the world is in the state it is now, and you have to just rage against the darkness, basically, to try to do what you can, even though the odds are looking terrible. And um, that's going to be a very cathartic game to play. And one other thing I wanted to mention out of the new hotness uh, is the Istanbul uh, Choose and Write. I really like Istanbul. I think it's going to convert into this blank and write kind of format well. And uh, yeah, it's a little box. And if you like, if you like uh, resource management games, you should check it out. I'll also say uh, Search for the Lost Species, the mm. game Jamie and I were just talking about, is on the new hotness as well. And I did want to say that... Um, we, get the, we backed that as a Kickstarter because it was banned and we got early access to it. It's actually when... If we sell out the copies that we got from the Kickstarter, we're going to have to wait until more of them come out and the official release happens, which is, I think, middle of August. So get it now. Uh, I did also want to say, while I was working yesterday, many, many people were talking about the zombie side supernatural packs yeah. that just came out. Uh, people that did not even know what zombie side was, they just wanted to know what games Supernatural fans are uh, uh, a specific breed. Yes, they are. <laughs> um, so I had to explain Zombicide to a few people. I showed it that it was on our game rental. So if you want to buy the sets and then just rent the game, you can and have the figures. Um, but yes, that was very interesting. And as well as having the boys pack for Zombicide as well yeah. is on the new hotness. And it's ironic. I've never watched a single episode of Supernatural. And I said that to somebody in the store and I got a lesson of how what Supernatural is about and how it works from one of our customers. Imagine if... A D&D campaign naturally was finishing, and then everybody said, no, we want to keep on playing. And so now you have level 20 characters that you have to somehow create like compelling stories that are beyond the gods that they I'm, have already killed. Or I, I'm surprised that Jamie's never watched Supernatural. It was... It's after your time, I guess. I got burned out on the Monster of the Week series, right? From Buffy. So we, we had Buffy, then we went to Smallville yeah. and Charmed. That's and, fair. That's fair. And it's got the vibe of Buffy for a yeah. later generation. Like I, I I started in on both 
Green Arrow and The Flash, mm. and I made it through like three or four seasons of each, and just got burned out on them. So when, you know, when Supernatural came out, I was just like, ugh. Well, and John mentions the really interesting thing about Supernatural is that most shows like that have a natural lifespan of if they're super successful, they get nine seasons mm-hmm. and they get cut off, right? And Supernatural was around it's like, its like well, seasons? Supernatural was I think around its sixth or seventh, and then streaming made it become incredibly popular with a newer audience that was like the right demographic for like teen and early 20 year olds who were the right demographic for when it first started, but were like five years too late. And then they went, Oh, this is still really popular. And it went on for like another, like another half as many seasons as it probably should have because it was still super popular. They, they kill such large scale enemies that the, the creators will constantly complain about how they had to try and create something more. Like they used every single bit of lore across the like Egyptian, Greek. The the plan was the plan was hell. set towards like we killed God and we had and now we're doing five more seasons. Exactly. <laughs> so then they're like, okay, what do we create after? What is more powerful than this? Uh, and it's, it's it was interesting to see them flail about and come up with uh, great storylines. So that is our new hotness. Um, so if people are going to come in and want to pick up some of these games, what's a good excuse to come in this week? Uh, well, we mentioned Battletech earlier, and we have for a long time had folks playing on the third Sunday, um, about starting about 1230 or 1, and they just added in the first Sunday of the month as well uh, and have had new people coming in. And uh, so, again, you can go to the Discord or just show up, and they'll be happy to teach you. Pokemon. There's a Pokemon pre-release coming, John. What adjective? Obsidian Flames. There it is. Okay. Pokemon Obsidian Flames drops on the 30th. So July 30th, that's the pre-release. And then the actual release of the game is, I want to say the Monday after. It might be the first is when you can buy it here because we're a pre-release store, so we can sell it early. And then right after that, we've got a new Magic set. Magic, uh, it's Commander Masters, and that is, I think that's Friday the 4th, if I'm remembering the dates correctly, which is that set's dropping during Gen Con. So it'll be interesting to see. Most Magic players, Gen Con has, you know, you have to buy your $90 tickets to get into Gen Con, and then you have to sign up to pay... um, if you're going to do magic at Gen Con, you have to pay additional for the events. And, and most magic players aren't going to do that, buy a ticket, and then also pay for the event. Right. So um, most of our magic community is not going to Gen Con. Uh, so it'll be, I think that'll be an exciting one. And the cards that they've been spoiling coming out of that set are some seriously hot reprints. So, but this is a premium price set that they're doing. So if you want the seriously hot reprints of some of these cards, and, and some of them are hundreds of dollars, the, the, the cards that exist right now, they'll, they'll hopefully come down in price a little bit um, with the reprints. But that those are the two big card drops that are coming at the same time. I think we've also got a One Piece pre-release coming up pretty soon, too. I don't know when that, that's coming soon. You, you can look at the calendar at redraccoongames.com and then click Events and see the entire calendar of everything that's coming up. Is it redraccoongames.com or .net? Both. Oh, okay. DNS redirect, right? Yeah, okay. That's there. That's right. The magic. The magic of the internet. 
so one thing that we're trying to do, and I failed to do it last week, but we're trying to add it new, is I want to give everyone at the table one chance to, to name one thing, whether it's a TV show, a book, or a movie, or what have you, but one thing that they think our listeners should be paying attention to right now, or something they're really enjoying and would share the load. And as both of you are now trying to clamor to think what they'll be, I'll go first. And that is... On Max, formerly HBO Max, they have released My Adventures with Superman, which is a new animated show about a early 20-something Clark Kent just starting his internship at the Daily Planet. Lois Lane is already an intern there for a year, so she's kind of his boss, but not really. Uh, And Jimmy Olsen is a conspiracy theorist roommate that also is an intern there as well. It is... So darling. It, so wholesome. It gives me Avatar vibes from the get-go of of just really creating some characters that have a lot of heart and have a lot of charm. They really kind of play into, you know, Superman is, is super-powered and that makes him klutzy sometimes. So, yeah, he's accidentally going to walk through a wall or, or walk through a door or, uh, you know, he destroys his alarm clock every day when he tries to stop it. <laughs> so... <laughs> the, the nice thing is the beginning of every episode so far that I've seen is him as a kid. And it's him then kind of evolving in the first five minutes of the show. And then they do the intro and then they do the rest of the show, which is him in his 20s. And you really get the sense that they're playing up more of his Clark Kent role. And the, the, the title of it, uh, My Adventures with Superman, not as Superman, I think is really telling because I think he's beginning to see Superman as this other character, as almost like a role that he plays and that, you know, he has to keep his identity secret. So it's all these adventures he's going on trying not to expose Superman because he is Superman. It's I someone pointed out, um it's online that normally like the context is superheroes exist and then supervillains pop up, right? And like Superman's original appearances, there weren't supervillains super for quite a while. In this setting, the supervillains already exist, and they're expecting Superman to like kill them, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, I want to help you." And so it's just a it's a really fun like focus on what makes him a good character. Also, uh, it was pointed out that a lot of the conspiracy theories that Jimmy Olsen brings up are actual plots from the old uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen comics that are yep. just wild. There's yeah. a lot of fun Easter eggs. Um, I would say that one of my favorite, and this is going to be a weird tangent, but stick with me. When Peter Cullen, who is the voice of Optimus Prime, first took the role, mm. uh, he had never been in the army before, never been a leader. So he had talked to his brother who had been, and his brother said, make him sound so strong that he has the ability to be kind. Because mm. that takes a lot of strength whenever you're leading, is to, to be able to handle the burden of being kind while being in command. And that is definitely the vibe that I get from the Superman. Uh, it is very much, I am the strongest, so I can afford to be gentle with you. I can afford to be understanding. And I will also say they have Sailor Moon-like transformer, transformation fun. sequences <laughs> for him getting into his costume. All of his superpowers are kind of illustrated with this like blue electricity, which tells me that maybe we might see a blue electricity mm. Superman, which is kind of a comic classic now. Um, but it... It's just gives great Avatar vibes. Highly recommend it. Who wants to go next? And okay. and I'll since go. I'm new to this segment, remind me what um, it was. Is it something new specifically? No, just something that you think our audience would enjoy. In other something media. you're doing. Yeah, like something outside of just board okay. games. Okay. I'm okay. new to this segment, too. <laughs> 
We did it once. You tried to name like one of each that you were going through. And it's like, no, 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 that's not needed. We're good. We're good. Okay. Okay. So audiobooks. Okay. Mm. Uh, I just finished The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece, a novel. It's the debut novel by Tom Hanks. Oh, I was, I was hearing Kelly talk about this. And he reads the audiobook along with a cast of, of people. And I didn't know what I was getting into. Basically, this is not a superhero story. It's everything that is happening behind the scenes so mm. that the superhero story can be made. So it's the different chapters move back and forth between the guy, one guy as a kid growing up learning to draw, another person coming out and and becoming a movie producer, a woman who is the night clerk at a hotel chain who is incredibly competent, and they hire her to be like the assistant director on the film because they realize she's one of those people who can actually just GSD and make things happen. And it's all these background roles. A guy who is the boom operator. One chapter is the guy who is the 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 makeup guy for the the main actress, the main star of the movie. So it's all the stories of all these the background people and all the things that have to happen for this movie to come together. There is um, the star of the the, the this, it's like. Basically, they're making a, a, either a Marvel or a DC action movie mm. uh, based on a comic that came out a long time ago. And it's the background stories of the stars. But it's very little of it, the book is actually what's happening in the movie. It's more about the lives of the people outside of the movie trying to produce this movie together. Like the, 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 the guy they cast as the villain turns out to be this massive prima donna and they fire his ass. And they bring on this other guy who is cast as a bit role. They're like, you're the new leading star, the leading man as the villain. And this guy's never had a role like that before in his life. He's always had like these bit pieces and it's him and his relationship with his wife and their, their newborn daughter as he's trying to come to grips with all the things he's got to do to be the leading man. As a giant movie nerd, and I'm sure everybody's aware of that after all of the things that we talked about here, I was completely fascinated by this book that actually it's about making a movie, but it's not about the movie itself. As, a, as an aside, after you get to the end of it, if you want to, you can go download this, the, a free PDF of the screenplay of the movie itself, which you only get bits and pieces of. Mm. It's kind of like the West Wing, yeah. where like they always stop when President Bartlett goes onto the stage. That's when the episode ends, when he's walking out. So you get all the background that had to happen for him to walk out and give the State of the Union. Oh. It's kind of like that. And I, I, it was fascinating. And I, I found myself making excuses to do things and chores around the house that I usually do so that I could listen to more of the book. Kelly was exclaiming that she was tired of hearing Tom Hanks in the house all <laughs> she day was. long. Um, I will say, now that we have Harrison Ford in a Marvel film, I'm just waiting to get Tom Hanks. I don't think Tom Hanks would go over to the, the James Gunn verse that he's building. I think that's going to be a very different vibe than Tom Hanks wants to be a part of. But there's got to be a, a Tom Hanks role somewhere in the MCU. Somewhere. Uh, yeah. Oh, just a, as a quick side note, there's a uh, Conan has a podcast and 
if you're a fan of podcasts, go and either listen or watch the episode that Harrison Ford's on. Yeah, don't spoil that. It's so good. It, I've seen the clips that you're talking about. You know, that does sound super interesting because, like, I know that I often will become more interested in the background of, like, a film production or something than the film itself. And that can be a really interesting story in its own right. So that's really cool. That's legitimately unique and different. And I like that. And if you are if you live in Bloomington Normal... Or, or at any place that does this, I have switched away from the old place I used to get audiobooks from. And our library has, as a, a, a library card, with a library card, you can use this app called Libby, mm-hmm. and it's free. It's the same as going to the library and checking out books. It's not always as, you know, you have to put holds on books like, I think I want to listen to this one and get in line. Mm-hmm. And... There's a there's a book that my friend recommended to me. I can't think of the name right now, but I'm like number I'm 1,700 people back in line. So I'm not listening to that one for a while. But I've got a whole list of books that I have put in there that I want to listen to this. And then it keeps popping up like, Hey, it's your turn. Are you ready for this one? I'm still in the middle of the Tom Hanks book. Uh, delay this one for four days, and then they come back around. But I had spent 19.99 for audiobooks for. 15 years Mm -hmm. and I have a ton of them and I still have access to listen to all them but this Libby app I pay a lot of money in property taxes for my house and a library supporting the library comes for free to that so I feel like you know somebody's like aren't you worried about the artists not getting compensated no the library is paying for them and I have paid a lot of dollars to support the library for the last 20 years, and I feel like I am taking more advantage of my library than I ever have in the this past. This is your reminder to go down to your local library and make sure that you currently have a library card if you haven't uh, had one in a while, or maybe you moved since the last time you got one. Get yeah. your library card. Never and even it. if you don't use it, that helps them. You can mm-hmm. use the Bloomington library card in normal or the normal library card in Bloomington as well. I actually was not aware of that. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, they, they have... There, there's a name for it, Cross Library, yeah. something, something. They're all part of the, the Prairie, the Grand Prairie Alliance, I think is the name of it in central Illinois, and the inter, Interlibrary Loan Program. Finally, we have found one step towards peace between our warring cities. That's good to hear. <laughs> Library um, Wars was a surprisingly boring anime. It should have been better. Yeah. What have you got, Jesse? Um, so I have one that is uh, a finally getting around to it. Um, there is a... So uh, some people might be aware of, uh, man, I think it was a mid-2000s. There was a Stephen King uh, series called uh, Kingdom Hospital that was like a sort of weird hospital shenanigans show. Um, It was an adaptation of a Danish production directed by Lars von Trier that uh, Rigget, I'm going to mispronounce that. It's Danish. I'm just going based on what German pronunciation would be like, uh, R-I-G-E-T, which translates to like the kingdom. And uh, it's this 90s, like, gritty filmed on, like, handhelds. Um, it's like if Twin Peaks was crossed with House, because uh, it's set in this haunted-as-hell um, uh, hospital, and there's all this spooky stuff going on, but also there's all this, like, politicking between the uh, doctors and, like, really, I didn't expect it to be as hilarious as it is, and... I've been meaning to watch it for like 15 or 20 years and a friend was talking with me about it and then just went, you know what? Uh, screw it. We're going to watch it. And it was a really good time. So I'm glad I finally did that. I remember that show when it first came out and I was just not at the, the mental stage to really appreciate mm-hmm. it. But 
years later, I did see the TV show Dark Place. Garth, oh, Garth. Is, yes. With that, which had like Richard A. Ode and mm-hmm. Matt Berry in it and uh, Noel Fielding. And it was just like, oh, is this is this somehow atta- like is this a riff on the other yeah. one? I could never quite put it together, but it gave the same vibes, just being more funny. Absolutely. All right. But with that, our episode comes to a close. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening today and if you want your chance to talk about your tabletop with us uh come and find us at red raccoon games located in downtown bloomington illinois or jump on the red raccoon discord where we have a podcast channel specifically for this i'll be posting whenever the episodes go live to look for them Uh, i'll be also posting the links that we use for our news articles for this and if you then have something you want talked about on the podcast or want to have a discussion about something that we said definitely we can have it there Uh, I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music and feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice. Uh, You can come to uh, the source by emailing info at redraccoongames.com. And once again, you can go to uh, the discord as well, but until next time, keep playing. Have a good one. Ribbit, ribbit.